Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. I'm happy to announce that my next novel, Mr. Secrets, will be available through Amazon Friday, October 7th. If you enjoy this podcast, then you'll definitely love the book. Ebooks are available for pre order now, and you will be able to buy paperback and hard copies on the 7th. If you wait a few more days, I'll have an audio version as well, but no official release date on that yet. I'll remind you all next week because the next episode will be released the same day as the novel. All right, enjoy the show. When I moved to Billings, Montana, I did the math and figured I could furnish my new place for darn near the same price as moving all my old stuff here if I shopped at local thrift stores. That way, I wouldn't have to rent a big truck to drive all the way from San Antonio. Billings isn't exactly the world capital of thrifting, but I did alright. People around here just don't let go of their stuff too easily. It could be that they don't allow much room for extra stuff in the first place. It's hard to get rid of much when all you have is all you need. I loved the excitement of checking out nearby thrift stores and pawn shops, not knowing what I would find, not knowing how my new place would come together, but knowing in the end, it would be undeniably unique. That's the problem with filling your house with purchases from Amazon or Target these days. It looks like there are hundreds of options out there, but somehow everyone brings home the same stuff. I found all kinds of hotel-style artwork to decorate my walls. Some might say that stuff is tacky, but I think it looks different inside a home than it does in a cheap hotel room. Hotels make people expect tacky, so tacky is what they see. When all was said and done, I ended up with a whole new living room set that included a matching couch, loveseat, and armchair with an ottoman. I got a small entertainment center and a decent TV, a discounted nightstand on account of a drawer that stopped half an inch before closing and a crack along its rear side and just about everything a single guy like me could need for the kitchen. The first time I noticed something strange was maybe two weeks after moving into my new place. I woke up and made my way out to the kitchen to rendezvous with Mr. Coffee. I had found the programmable coffee maker at Secondhand Treasures, my favorite thrift store, and it had my morning cup ready for me every day without fail. So I made my way into the kitchen and noticed it felt pretty warm in there. 
First, I checked the thermostat to make sure the AC was on, and saw it was. Puzzled, I returned to the kitchen and thought, boy, it feels like an oven in here. That thought prompted me to glance at the oven, and wouldn't you believe it, the dial was turned to 550 degrees. The little orange light next to it was glowing. I said a quick prayer of thanks that my house hadn't burned down. The prayer kept me from berating myself for about two minutes, and then the whipping began. I called myself all kinds of terrible names that shouldn't be repeated for leaving the oven on all night. I hadn't even used it the previous evening. I figured my clumsy self must have bumped the dial while I was wiping down the stove. Ironically, finding the oven on made me feel lucky, because nothing tragic had occurred when it very well could have. I would not feel lucky for long. Thinking back, the oven was only the first irregularity I had paid any mind to. Some strangeness had been going on in my house since the first week, after I brought in all my second-hand treasures to borrow the name of my favorite shop. I had thought I kept misplacing things. Small items, like lighters and matches, wouldn't be where I thought I had left them, and then I'd find them hidden in a drawer or in other places I wouldn't normally put them. I told myself it kept happening because I hadn't created any habits in my new home yet. Of course I would be prone to putting things places I wouldn't normally put them when I hadn't established the norm yet. The oven being left on was the first time danger had entered the equation, but far from the last. One afternoon, I came home from the store and immediately smelled something burning. The smell had a toxic overtone, like when someone tossed their Ziploc sandwich bag on the fire at a Boy Scout camp. I left my groceries by the door and began searching for the source of the odor. I entered the living room and instantly noticed a plume of wispy gray smoke rising and twisting like a tornado from the arm of my new loveseat. What I could not find was anything causing the loveseat to burn. I kid you not, for a second I thought I was witnessing spontaneous combustion and got excited. I pulled out my phone to take a video. A small flame rose from the arm as if it had been hiding inside and just burst through. The appearance of actual fire gave me a needed jolt, and I went to the kitchen for a bowl of water. That's when I noticed the back patio door was slightly ajar. I hadn't opened that door even once that day so I began to worry about an intruder. I slid the glass door shut and locked it. Behind me, the fire went out instantly. It made an audible sound, sort of like boom. I watched the love seat for a minute to see if the flame would return, but even the smoke vanished like an apparition before the rising sun. Curious, I unlocked the patio door and slid it open again, just slightly, like it had been when I found it. Nothing happened at first, but after a couple of minutes, the ghostly smoke began to twirl on the arm of the loveseat again. Now I examined the door more closely. Clearly, there had to be a link between it and the fire. Stupidly, I held my hand out in front of the door and slowly began to raise it up. At about shoulder level, I received a searing burn on my thumb's first knuckle. The skin turned shiny and pink. In the spot where my thumb had been burned, I saw a pinprick of golden light almost too bright to look at. I understood right away what had happened. The afternoon sun was shining directly through the glass. When just one pane interrupted the light's path, it brought wonderful, harmless warmth into my home. But when the sliding pane was in front of the static one, they combined like a magnifying glass, concentrating the sunlight into that tiny pinprick of focused power. 
there must have been a slight bend to the glass in the sliding door. It had turned the friendly sun to a deadly laser beam which might have burned down the whole house if I had come home even ten minutes later. With the initial mystery solved, another, more sinister question crept into my mind. How had the door been left open? If I had been more honest with myself, I would have asked who had opened the door, and that inquiry would have opened a whole line of questions. Did whoever opened the door intend to concentrate the sunlight and start a fire? Why do it in such a subtly elaborate way? Had they also turned on my oven in the middle of the night? Were they still in the house? I searched every corner of the house and made sure each door and window were locked. These precautions made me feel safe enough as I went to sleep that night. I was awakened at 2 a.m. by the anxious beeping of a smoke detector. I threw off the covers, but the end of my sheet got caught around my ankle. When I jumped out of bed, my right leg didn't follow me. I landed hard on the floor, catching myself on my elbows, which protested the impact with throbbing pain. My left leg was fine, but my right cried out in agony. Gently, I removed my ankle from the sheet and tried to put some weight on it. A twinging discomfort told me my ankle was temporarily out of commission. The smoke detector's incessant beeping reminded me I had bigger problems, and with the weird fire-related events of the previous days, I had to assume this was not a drill. I hopped into my office across from my bedroom where a rolling chair stood at my desk. I got behind it and pushed it in front of me like a walker. It sounded like the active smoke alarm was in the kitchen. A little further down the hall, I could smell the smoke. I remember a bizarre moment when the smell reminded me of a food truck. The smoke had a greasy flavor I could taste in the back of my throat. I started to panic. Even though I work from home, my employer makes me take an annual fire safety training. It covers various types of fires and how to handle them. Grease fires are one of the absolute worst and hardest to manage. Instead of continuing toward the kitchen, I returned to my bedroom to retrieve my phone. If I was dealing with a grease fire, I was going to need help. I dialed 911, wedged the phone between my shoulder and my ear, and started back towards the kitchen. 911, what is the location of your emergency? The dispatcher asked robotically. I gave her my address and told her the smoke detector was going off in the kitchen. Do you see any smoke, sir? She asked. Yes. Do you know what the source of the fire is? No, not yet. Okay, I'm going to start a truck to your address. You need to find the closest safe exit and get out of the house. Are you able to do that? She must have heard how out of breath I was from hopping on one foot and pushing the chair out in front of me. I can, I said. What I didn't say was that before I left the house, I had to know what had finally caused a real fire. The oven and patio door hadn't worked, so what had my mysterious assailant finally done? I heard a crackling not unlike fire, but dissimilar enough for me to know it wasn't flames. I rounded the corner, planning to use the patio door as my escape once I learned what had happened. I entered the kitchen. All four of the electric stove's spiral elements were glowing angry orange. A pan full of what I assumed to be vegetable oil sat on top of the biggest one. A behemoth of smoke billowed off of the oil. Droplets popped out of the pan like lava spewing from an agitated volcano, landing on the other three burners and flashing all over the stovetop. It's the stove, I said into the phone. All right, sir, you need to get out. Are you still able to do that? The pan began to rattle on the burner. 
It shook hard enough to make the oil slosh up to the rim and back down, threatening to spill everywhere. Stop, I shouted. The phone fell from my shoulder onto the floor. Sir? Sir, who are you talking to? The dispatcher's distant voice asked. Stop that, I shouted again, only causing the pan to shake harder. A splash of oil leapt from it and should have landed on my kitchen floor, but something got in its way. The oil hit an invisible obstacle and flames burst out in midair. They cast a shadow against the cupboards, the shadow of a small, lean figure with one arm extended toward the stove. I could hear sirens in the distance now. I watched the dark shadow vanish as the suspended flames flickered out. The pan stopped rattling. I was afraid to move. I worried if I went for the door, the invisible arsonist might come for me. I felt frail and defenseless behind that cheap office chair with my injured ankle hovering above the floor. What are you? Why are you doing this? I shouted. Suddenly the window above the sink flew open. The screen fell away and the pan levitated off the stove. It went out the window on its own, taking the burning oil with it. I expected to hear it clatter on the pavers in the backyard, for flames to erupt and consume the grass, but nothing happened. The smoke detector stopped after the smoke slithered out of the open window. Just then, I heard a heavy pounding on my front door. Billings Fire Department, is anyone still inside? I pushed my chair over to the front door and opened it to see a geared-up fireman standing on the porch. Others were behind him unraveling a hose. Don't bother, I said. There's no fire anymore. It... I trailed off, unsure of how to explain what had just happened. The firefighter looked me up and down, raising an eyebrow at the chair. Are you hurt? He asked. I just twisted my ankle getting out of bed when I heard the smoke detector, I said. Did you disable it? He asked, looking past me into the house. Um, no. The fire is out and the smoke went away. The alarm shut off on its own. Uh Uh-huh. Dispatch said you had a stove fire. Mind if I take a look? Sure. I rolled my chair out of his way and let the man inside. He turned back to his comrades and shook his head. One of the other men dropped his shoulders in disappointment, and they started recoiling the hose. The firefighter took a long breath through the nose as he walked into the living room. He pursed his lips in thought, then turned to me. Cooking oil, he said. You know, I was about to give you the speech about making false reports, but you had a fire in here, didn't you? How'd you put it out? He pointed at the doorway to the kitchen and cocked his head incredulously. I nodded, and he went through. It started in a pan. I tossed it out the window. I lied. Oh, buddy, that's not a good idea. For future reference. Oil gets on everything and doesn't come off. Hot flaming oil? Well, you could light the whole neighborhood on fire if you aren't careful. I'll be sure to remember that, I said, hoping the searing resentment I felt didn't show up in my voice. Well, looks like you got lucky this time, he said, leaning over the stove and examining the dark little spots on the elements where the oil had splashed. What were you cooking at this hour? I shrugged, but he was still looking at the stove. I said, you know, it was the stupidest thing. I left the pan on the stove after dinner. I woke up and turned the burner on so I could make some tea. I didn't realize it was the burner beneath the pan and walked away to use the bathroom. You tired? he asked in a mildly contemptuous tone. Very, I replied. It was the first honest word out of my mouth since he had come inside. Well, everything looks okay here. Just pay attention to your burners and maybe don't mess with heat when you're too sleepy, alright? 
God, I wanted to slap him, but not as bad as I wanted him out of my house. I nodded, bid him a good night, and closed the door behind him. As the fire engine outside roared, signaling its squealing departure, I dropped onto my hands and knees by the front door. The chair rolled away, and I watched it go with sleepy ambivalence. I couldn't lie any longer. There was no one around to believe me. Now I was only lying to myself, and myself had a habit of calling my bluff. "'What do you want?' I yelled into my dark house. No one responded. I became acutely aware of the ticking clock above my mostly empty bookshelf in the living room. "'Was that your whole plan? What, are you just trying to scare me?' Something rolled across the living room from the shadowy end of the hallway. I couldn't see it at first, but heard it knock against the leg of my couch and start hissing. I pulled myself onto my left foot and hopped forward, abandoning the chair. The pitch of the hissing sounded urgent. I got my eyes on the couch just in time to see a bright, flashing light underneath it go out. Time slowed to a crawl as I realized what was under the couch. There was a whole box of them under my bed. I had purchased them for a 4th of July block party my neighbors had planned. They're called ground spinners, small fireworks that spin and roll chaotically for a few seconds while shooting sparks wherever they go. Lots of fun out in the street at night, but not intended for indoor use. Just as this realization hit me, the ground spinner whirred to life. It flashed and crackled as it spun out from under the couch and went beneath the love seat instead. I shouted and limped across the room. I shoved the love seat away from the sparks and felt them shower my calf, ankle, and foot instead. The ground spinner went out, thankfully, once its short life had been spent. My heart was still pounding when I heard the sounds again, like a loop rolling, hissing. This one went under my small dining room table. I couldn't get there before it went off and shot sparks all over the wood as it bounced between chair and table legs. Fortunately, the sparks weren't enough to start the wood on fire, but a third firework rolled out of the hallway. Stop, please, that's enough, I begged the shadows, not knowing where else to direct my plea. The unlit ground spinner rolled all the way into the kitchen where it stopped against the oven. Oh no, 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 I muttered in defeat. The firework had come to rest among the slick splashes of oil that had escaped the hot pan earlier. The oven door right above it was also splattered with tiny droplets of the flammable liquid. The fuse didn't light on its own right away like the other two had. This firework paused for dramatic effect. I was being tormented. That fire truck couldn't have gotten far, I thought to myself. They can turn around and get here before the fire gets out of hand. I pulled out my phone and dialed 911 once again. The operator must have recognized my number because she skipped the usual script. Sir, do you have another emergency? She asked. Yes, the stove is on fire again, I said, speaking in the present tense to avoid any questions about how I knew the stove was going to be on fire. Uh Uh-huh, okay. The truck just cleared from your house, so I can have them turn around and check it out. Is that what you want, sir? The operator sounded annoyed. I heard a muted threat in the way she asked if that was what I wanted. Yes, please, tell them to hurry, I said. "Uh Uh-huh. Just as a reminder, sir, making a false report is... It's a crime, I know, I know. Please just tell them to hurry. I hung up after repeating this request and stared at the unlit firework in the middle of all that oil. The thing was taunting me its fuse sticking out like a child's teasing tongue. Come on, I shouted, sounding braver than I felt. 
Do what you're going to do. Light it up. The firework came alive again, but not the way I had anticipated. Instead, it rolled towards me, lighting up as it got close. I turned to run and stumbled on my bad ankle. My body hit the ground hard, but I couldn't waste any time feeling sorry for myself. The ground spinner rolled to a stop mere inches from my face, and the flame vanished at the base of the fuse. I rolled to my side just as the spinner went off. My neck, left ear, and cheek were showered with sparks. I heard a guttural cry from somewhere and realized it came from me. The hot firework bounced against my head twice before finally sputtering out and rolling back towards the kitchen, dead. Billings Fire, a voice I recognized boomed from the front door. Come in, I shouted back. I was pretty sure I had left the front door unlocked. I heard it open as I used one of the dining room chairs to get back on my feet. Sir, are you alright? The same fireman from before asked as he entered the kitchen. I am now, thanks, I replied. I'm sorry, I seem to have wasted your time again. What happened this time, he asked, sounding about as annoyed as the 911 operator had. Well, I started, wanting to tell him about the fireworks, but realizing as I opened my mouth how unbelievable and unsympathetic my story would sound. I would probably be more likely to get locked up for trying to burn my house down than to receive any help. Although the thought of being locked in a cinderblock cell, i.e. non-flammable, didn't sound so bad that night. And of course, the evidence, the spent firework cartridges, had all managed to disappear from the floor. The fireman raised a hand to silence me before I could say anything more. Here's the thing, bud, he said, pure condescension saturating his words. I'm having a hard time fighting the urge to get a cop here and press charges, alright? Just want you to know where we stand. You're wasting my time, my crew's time, and a good amount of taxpayer dollars by continuing to call us out here for nothing. Not to mention what could have happened if a real fire broke out while we were tied up here dealing with you. Do not call us again unless you have a real emergency. Got it? And don't go starting a fire on your own either. We'll know. The fire marshal has a real nose for that sort of thing. And you'll do time. Believe me. I bowed my head like a scolded dog and nodded. The fireman disingenuously wished me a good night, then left. Please, I muttered when the house was quiet again. Please tell me what you want. I'll do anything, I swear. I heard a heavy bang beyond the shadows in the hallway and turned towards it. Is that you? I asked. Another bang answered. The terror in my chest got displaced by a heavier, thicker substance. Anger. The terror washed out of me, down my arms, tingling in my fingers and toes, before falling away. I stormed down the hallway ready for a final confrontation with whatever had been making me look like a fool and a criminal. I flipped the bathroom light on and saw everything there in order. Another bang. Closer now, I could tell the sounds were coming from my bedroom, so that's where I went next. I flipped the switch that should have turned on the light affixed to my ceiling fan, but angrily realized I had pulled the cord to turn the light off while the fan spun during the night. As my eyes adjusted to the dark room, I noticed the drawer of my nightstand, the one that didn't quite close all the way, was drawn out to full extension. My socks looked back at me like inquisitive puppets until the drawer slammed shut on its own. Not all the way, 
just up to the spot where something interrupted its path. Then the drawer extended again, slammed, opened, and slammed once more. I got the message. The next time the drawer opened, I stumbled to my bed, caught myself on it with one hand, and grabbed the drawer with the other. I could have sworn I heard a small voice whisper, Look, as it passed by my ear. I glanced over my shoulder to confirm no one was there, then carefully popped the drawer off its tracks and pulled it away from the nightstand. Something clunked onto the wood beneath the drawer. Don't hurt me, I said pathetically as I reached a trembling hand into the black rectangle left behind by the drawer. My fingers brushed against something solid. I removed the object and brought it into the room's dim, ambient light. It was a rectangular tin labeled Altoids, Curiously Strong Mints. I wondered for a moment if all the paranormal action had only led me to discover a few expired mints. Cautiously, I lifted the tin's hinged lid. Something popped out and made me recoil, losing my grip on the tin as I fell flat on my rear. The object inside the tin fell to the floor. I breathed a sigh of relief as I realized it was only a sheet of folded notebook paper. Someone had written this note on it. If anyone should find this, please turn it over to the Billings Police Department. It was him. The boy is extremely dangerous. Do not let him go. The note was signed Dr. Draven Gimble. My heart thudded as I flipped the page over. The drawing on the other side had been done in crayon by a child of maybe five or six years old. A red house filled the center of the page. A man and a woman were drawn with their heads poking out of an upstairs window. On the other side of the house, two little boys were drawn doing the same thing. They all appeared to be shouting comically into the air, but there was nothing funny about the rest of the drawing. The ground floor was engulfed in orange and purple flames, and off to one side, drawn largely to appear in the foreground, was a young boy holding what looked like a Zippo lighter. Bye Bye Dr. Gimble was etched above the screaming woman in a child's handwriting. Doctor was spelled D-O-K-T-E-R, and Gimble spelled G-I-M-B-U-L. Donald Donnie Jericho was written above the lighter boy's head in pen matching the note on the back of the page. I heard a boy's laughter in the hallway. It echoed with sinister malice. I thought of calling the fire department again to get them there preemptively, but knew they wouldn't come. Not this time. This time a police officer would come to cite me for making false reports, or maybe even haul me off to jail. All I could do was get out of the house before the spirit of Donnie Jericho burned me alive. I crawled into the hallway. My hand slipped in something wet and I lifted it to my nose. The smell of rubbing alcohol burned my sinuses. At the end of the hall stood a short, thin shadow. It flicked something in its hand, a Zippo lighter, and the horribly burned face of a young boy appeared at the edge of the fire's light. Please, I begged. The boy flashed small white teeth and made a whipping motion with his hand, sending the lighter spinning towards me. A circle of blue flames spread right in front of me. I rolled back into the bedroom as the circle expanded until it reached the walls where its round edge flattened and began to consume the trim. I forced myself onto my feet, ignoring the pain in my ankle. 
The fire started to sneak into the bedroom as I limped to the window. I tossed it up, broke out the screen, and fell out onto my lawn. Fortunately, an early rising neighbor saw my house go up in flames and called the fire department. Because the call hadn't come from me, they responded. Unfortunately, they weren't quick enough to save the house. I couldn't salvage anything from the wreckage of my home, but I've managed to salvage what actually matters, my life. I went on trial for arson, which almost ended badly. I had still smelled like rubbing alcohol when the fire crew returned and found me in the lawn. I'm lucky the county prosecutor happened to be swamped at the time and couldn't put together a convincing case. The prosecution offered me a sweet deal, and I took it. I couldn't file an insurance claim on the house, though. If I had, they would have come after me for fraud. I didn't need to look very hard to unravel the story of Dr. Draven Gimble and her young patient, Donnie Jericho. Dr. Gimble had been a counselor working at the elementary school where Donnie was a second-grade student. She had been seeing him for behavioral issues. One night in March, Dr. Gimble, her husband, and their two children were tragically killed in a house fire. A fifth victim, another male child, was discovered in the garage where the fire had started. He went unidentified until one Miss Jericho reported her son Donnie missing. Dr. Jericho must have saved that drawing after finding it in Donnie's locker. Or maybe he gave it to her directly as a sick warning. I imagined her frantically scrawling the note I had read as raging flames consumed her home and family. She must have stuffed it into her nightstand before her husband used the heavy wooden item to smash open the window so they could try, unsuccessfully, to escape. I haven't yet decided how I'm going to recover from this and start over. I'll need to save up some money to buy new furniture, clothes, and entertainment. And yes, I mean new as in brand new. I'm done with second hand. When you bring that stuff home, you just never know what might come with it. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.